Welcome to another episode of your Wild and Exposed podcast. Before we begin today's show, we have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Precision Camera in Austin, Texas, the largest camera store between New York and L.A. Precision Camera is offering Wild and Exposed listeners a free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images with free shipping as well within the United States. To get this, go to our website at wildandexposed.com. On our homepage, go to the menu at the top right and go to our sponsors page. There, you'll find a quick link to Precision Camera. And once you're on their page, go to the option for a virtual consultation with one of their friendly and knowledgeable staff. They'll be more than happy to discuss and answer any questions that you might have for gear that you're interested in. At the conclusion of your visit, they'll give you a coupon code that will give you access to order this free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images. By supporting Precision Camera, you're also supporting your favorite podcast, Wild and Exposed. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. I'm Ron Hayes coming to you from Wyoming. Mark Raycroft coming to us from, where you at, Mark? I'm in Ontario, Canada, at home at the moment. And Jason Loftus? Yep, I'm coming at you guys live from Utah, northern Utah. Let's well, not gotta live, be specific. Really. Well, it will be right now, and then it'll be recorded later for and folks later. to listen in. I think Mark's got a story, though. Mark's it, got a story? Because every time I go on to you, he shakes his head. Mark, did you have a story? Oh, no. No, I was just shaking my head at my professionalism here because in my excitement, even though we're filming this audio, I, I gave the fingers up in like celebration. We're starting this podcast, you know, the rock and roll horns here, and I hit the papers with my notes, and I'm like, dude, no, I was just making a mess. So no, I'm, I'm sitting tight, getting ready to talk to our guest, but I will let Jason run with that next part to get things rolling and... Okay, so because I'm in northern Utah, tonight you guys might actually hear some uh, jets flying by. I've got, I live right close to an Air Force base, so there may be some of that in the background, so forgive us for that. But tonight we also have somebody joining us from Monterey, California, um, somebody I've been following for quite a while on Instagram and whose work I admire quite a bit. I'm really excited to have this conversation tonight with Chase and Chase Decker. Um, we like to start off the show with just you telling us maybe one of your favorite stories, one of your favorite outdoor adventures, um, could be related to photography or not, but just one of your best and most favorite, mem most memorable outdoor experiences. All right. I, you know, I used to think this was a hard question. I've gotten so much. What I always ask is, do you want the land or the sea version? You can get both, but if you want both. to pick one, I'll let you we pick which both. one you like. Well, yeah, give us both, well, man. Heck yeah. All right. Um, we'll, we'll start off with the sea version because this was earlier, earlier in my life. Um, so when I was, when I was younger, way before getting into photography, I would have been about 11. My 
family, I just, my mom and dad, we went out, we did trips every year in summer and we went out and chartered a sailboat for about a week and a half out of um, British Columbia, out of Port Hardy, which is kind of north of Port McNeil. It's on the north side of Vancouver Island to head out and follow the killer whale pods through the inside passage and to see some bears too, but really the focus was the orcas. And we rented out this beautiful, you know, 40 foot sailboat and we took it around all the islands and just fantastic stuff. Um, lots of the northern residents, the ones that kind of always get left out of the conversation. You know, everyone always talks about the southern residents, but the northern residents are healthy. They're doing well. Back then, they were still doing pretty good. And we had a great trip, and we're out there with the captain and his wife. who were running the show, and we're, we're kind of anchored one night in between a bunch of islands where we had been watching orcas during that day. And, you know, in Canada and up there, it's about August. So, you know, the sun's going down pretty late, um, sometimes maybe not to like 9.30 or 10.00. And it's about that time, right, you know, where it's getting twilighty, so it's not too dark yet. And what he would always do is he'd have the hydrophone in the water. So he'd always be listening to see where the orcas are. And he starts hearing them. And, they're, and he goes, hey, you know, we followed him up the channel. They're coming back. And he gets really excited, right? This guy was so excited. He goes, hey, let's get in the inflatable and let's go out and see him. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. So me and my mom and dad and this, this captain jump in his little tiny inflatable it's only just a few feet i mean it's it's the smallest little boat you can get in for four people we are crammed shoulder to shoulder he zips us out now under the moonlight because now it's dark to the channel and he goes okay they're, they're going to be coming they're going to be coming and we you know we shut off the engine we're just sitting there in the mi middle of this channel at like 10 o'clock at night and you know then you start hearing it so quiet you start hearing the breaths right you start hearing them echo over the water so you think oh man this is it they're coming right it's not a wide channel it's pretty narrow and we hear him and we hear him and we hear him. And then before we know it, one of the big bulls of this pod, and there were about 25 or 30, pops up two feet from us. I mean, we're one foot off the water, and this whale is right next to us under the moonlight. And before we know it, we have every single orca in the pod surrounding this skiff. They're moving so much, they start to create a little whirlpool. So now we're spinning in place. So we're spinning around all these orcas who are so curious why we're out there alone. A few of them start to spy off, you know, that's where they're lifting their heads out of the water. And you're just seeing this all under the moonlight. And it's about, it felt longer, but in reality, it was probably about 10 minutes of just out there with them, like, circling around. And the captain who's done this all his life is just freaking out. He's just loving it. He cannot believe this is happening. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, I've had so many whale encounters, I can't begin to count from petting them to having a breach on me and everything. But this, that one always just stands out because it just felt like a dream, you know, when I was actually living it. So that's the sea experience that always just will stick with me kind of for the rest of my life. All right. And before you get be into the, before you get into the terrestrial, so you pretty much grew up on the water. Yeah, I was, I was born in Monterey. Um, so I, I was born here. I, I didn't live here my entire life. I lived in Washington, Wyoming for a little bit, but I was born here going out in the boats, watching whales from shore. So um, always spent a lot of time in the ocean. Did you say Wyoming? Yeah, we lived in Jackson Hole for a little bit, uh, but I'm a California blood. I don't well, like snow. Most people in Jackson Hole are. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, that's right. Everyone comes from somewhere else, but yeah. you know, I, I learned mighty quick that the icy winters were not for me. 60 degrees <laughs> in January? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. You know, so that was the sea. Uh, are you guys ready for the land? We need that. to take a yeah we are but I mean, just sure. think about that for a minute that's surreal oh. yeah what an amazing oh, experience is. yeah and especially for a young person to have that kind of encounter it would resonate through the rest of your, obviously you pick it right away for the rest of your life right and that you just totally. sets you on your course 
one of the things that must have. My mom has a much better recollection than I do, you know, because I was only 11. So for me, that's why I always say it it feels like a dream, you know, but that's why experiencing with others kind of reminds me that it was reality. It did actually happen. And the whole trip was wonderful. We got to spend time with Luna, the famous orca, um, so many animals. But yeah, that that was just something out of this world. So very, very cool. And on their level, right? The, yeah, wow. Right there, right uh, in the water. Well, as far as the surface of the water level, right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know. All right, Zen moment, breath. Okay, breath. land experience. Yeah. All right. Now, the land, you guys, you guys may relate to more because all, all of you have been to Denali, right? Have you all been mm-hmm. to Denali National Park? So I, I guess it would more be for some of your listeners. But you guys know in Denali... You have your two different buses, right? You have your white bus, which are the what, the what they call them, the Tundra Tours, right? You know, you got to sign up. You can't get on those. You can only jump on the green buses, right? The camper buses that go by. So keep that in mind because that'll come in a little bit later here, I promise. But a few years ago, I was in Denali uh, for the autumn season, and I went with a really old buddy of mine who I'd known since I've been five years old. And what was fun is he's he's in the tech world, so he works at Apple, so he's He's never experienced anything like this. He's never seen moose. He's never seen bears in the wild. So everything was just brand new to him, right? Everything was so exciting for me. It's hey, it's moose. Let's let's find the really big bull. Let's let's find let's find the bear. You know, we don't we don't need this you know caribou anymore. Let's do something else. But for him, it was all really exciting. And and during our trip there, we kept hearing about this black wolf, this male black wolf, that was kind of hanging around the Tequanica campground area, and people kept seeing it. We kept hearing from the campground or, you know, campgrounds, the buses, people like, oh, yeah, this black wolf, you'll see it. It's, it's really easy. It keeps going by. You know, we're getting toward the end of a trip. It's been about 10, 11 days. Haven't seen it. And we were up photographing doll sheep. I think it was on. Oh, I can't remember where Mount. But anyway, we got back down after doll sheep, got in the bus. I sat down next to some guy and he goes, oh, what were you doing? I was like, oh, doll sheep. And he's like, oh, we just saw the wolf two minutes ago. And I look back at my buddy, he's listening, we're each like, of course, right? So that night, we're back at Tequanica, and we, we had just eaten dinner, and we're thinking, you know, let's just take a walk. Let's just, let's just go, let's just go walk, see what we can see. We got a couple hours of light. Maybe we'll find something. I don't know. I mean, you guys know with wildlife, right? You go out looking for a wolf, something, I mean, what are the odds you're going to find it? What are the odds something's going to run across your path? So we just start walking down the road, just thinking, let's just look for owls or whatever we can find. And... The white bus, right, one of the Tundra tour buses passes us by. And this was one of the last buses of the day. And it goes right by us. And it goes around the corner, right? And when it goes around the corner, about a few seconds later, I hear the brakes slam. I mean, those brakes slam as fast as they could. And I I don't know if my friend was paying attention, but all I remember thinking is, it's not picking anyone up. There's something on the road that it just saw, right? That's the reason they're stopping. So I go to him like, hey, hold on for a second. Hold on. And we wait, we wait about a minute, and around the corner comes this black wolf walking right down the road, and this wolf comes right up toward us. And while it's doing this, my friend, he's he's out of it. He is, mouth is open, eyes are bugging out of his head. He does not believe what's happening right now. I've been around wolves, and I go, oh my God, this is so exciting. <laughs> like You have no idea how cool this is. So I sit down in the road to take photos, and this wolf walks within 15, 20 feet, stops right in front of us, just stares at us for about 15 seconds. And then it kind of just goes back and forth in front of us twice and then dips in the woods. And uh, we actually saw it again in the river, but that, that moment on land was just awesome. I mean, we were hugging each other. We were cheering. We were so excited, you know, I mean, to bring my good friend up there and have show him a wolf, 
like that. It was just out of this world. So there you have it, the sea and the land. Those are the two that I always feel kind of stick with me more than others. So that's yeah. it. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, when I saw my first wolf, I was high-fiving myself because there was nobody else there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, there you go. It's an exciting it's, it's... event. Yeah. Oh, it totally is. There's there's nothing like seeing one in the wild. So that was that was really special. We had we had waited a lot of days during that trip, so it was it was finally good to get it at the end. Well, and what's cool about it is right now I'm looking at this image. I'm pretty sure on your website. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in the wolf category, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> that's probably it. The black wolf standing there on the road. On the right? road, yeah. yeah. That's that's really neat. That's cool. And to hear that story, all of our listeners need to go out to Chase's website and check out that image. It's pretty neat. So, yeah, that was that was a neat experience. You know, I I, I had some good wolf encounters in Wyoming, but you know that that one was just so much fun. You know, it just just hearing the breaks and just thinking, oh my god, could this actually be happening? Nature nature never works this way, right? You know, wildlife. <laughs> It never goes the way you want it to most of the time. So sometimes, but not all the time. When you get yeah, well, when you're out there enough. And it's yeah. something this this link will be on our wildandexposed.com website in the show notes, as with the rest of Chase's links to his great material that you'll want to look up after as these conversations go on. But yeah, seriously, I just gotta sit back and think about how special that was. And Teclanica, for those, mm-hmm. I mean people that may not know out there it's one of the interior campsites in denali national park that you can access by bus or your own vehicle or camper but you have to stay a minimum of three nights but the reason i highlight it again and i haven't really talked about it before i've spent many many nights camping at teclanica as kind of a jump off point in denali and it's a fantastic place when the hair population's high it's a great spot to spot lynx and there are moose there are bears and the evening you know if you happen to be there you have your campfire to walk out on the river basin it's just an incredible place to spend some time so something to think about a lot of people go to denali and just think about the front of the park but if time permits and the right gear is there it's a takes it to a different experience once you get in there in teclanica you feel separated one step further from humanity the further you go in right so that's cool that that happened and yeah, I, yeah, that area is a great well, wilderness. It, and if I can add, I, I love that you can drive your car. And that, to me, that bonus of getting to drive your car in and out, I mean, that's mm-hmm. huge in Denali. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, so it's so hard to get the road lottery or the, um, what is it, the permits they give out to photographers for those dates. That when I mean, you can yeah. drive that extra 15 miles, or yeah, you're used to, right? That 15, 17 miles, whatever it is. Um, mm. that's, that's a wonderful experience on its own, just to have that little bit of, privacy going through the park you know where most people can't drive so i, yeah. I really appreciate that when you can really for that aspect too and and here's a bit of a tip take your time go slowly pull over let buses by pick the time for these people that are doing that's as far as you can drive in without other permits as far as this campground pick the time of day that the light's nice or if it's an overcast day i mean when you might see animals and do it slowly in and out just for that added opportunity well, that's exactly. cool. I, so, Chase, I've known your work for however many years I've been on Instagram. Saw it right away. Something about moose and your stuff pops up, too. I mean, the, the subject matter is an overlap. You're far more into the marine mammals, which is incredible to see. And, and some of your images are what I consider to be among the best on planet Earth for these whales. There's one 
well, there's several, but people where I have so many notes today <laughs> on your, yeah, you have five, over 500 images on your Instagram, so it's a great representation of your portfolio. But check out the May 6, 2020 post, and it's a, it's a picture that anybody who's into natural history or wildlife photography had likely seen somewhere of the humpback in perfect light coming out of the water with that orangish glow evening oh, background yeah. and it and just a really dark looking but great detail crisp like not like there's all kinds of water flying those are good too but this one's just really highlights the mammal and, and i have right. there's... i have a confession first time i saw that it was posted by a a group and i was like that dude is a photoshopping machine and then <laughs> and then i went to your page i was like yeah no <laughs> that's little little bits of photoshop i love image. i love using it but uh gotta gotta keep it as real as possible right yeah, you know man, and not an not, not too shot. heavy manipulation you know yeah it's it's that was one of the rare evenings where everything kind of came together there uh, that was that was that was a breaching bonanza i mean we had that evening again we had about 350 to 400 breaches in about three hours Holy there was one boy. point where we had 10 whales 10 whales breaching at the exact same time across the area. Some were close, some were like, oh, they're, they're a mile away, but it was it was a breaching clinic, you know? And the only people I would say I feel bad for is we had, I always remember, we didn't have a ton of people, we had four people that night, first time whale watching. And I was like, you guys are ruined. You are so totally ruined right. for life. You don't have any idea, you know? No, you're ruined for life. <laughs> There's there's another one on January 9th, 2020 of the of a, another humpback breaching toward you, a very unique angle compared to others I've seen. And I just want to take a moment for the guys and I get into some of the subject matter with you because there's so much to your the career you've had so far, man. I'm not going to ask you your age, but hats off for where you've been <laughs> on planet Earth, what you've seen, what you've <laughs> photographed, and your success. Total high five to you, brother. So Chase yeah, is... You. Not only has one of the coolest names in wildlife photography, right? We got to admit that. Chase, right? Love it. <laughs> Hats off to your mom on that one. And Chase, obviously a photographer, but is a biologist as well as a very active guide. And that'll be highlighted as the conversation goes on. But just some of his credits. Chase has had work, his images on TV, on ABC, PBS, BBC. He's had photos published in National Geographic, Nature's Best, and Lonely Planet. In 2018, Chase was a category winner in the prestigious Woodland Smith Rice International Awards competition and has had his work hung in the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. Again, listen to the podcast, but you've got to check out his portfolio fantastic photographer and where he's been on planet earth so it's i'm it's great to have you on the show and where you live that's something else we used to make an annual annual pilgrimage to california coast when the kids oh, you were did. young yeah, yeah. We, we'd go to meet clients and we'd spend a week or two out there and and with the various publishers that we worked with and hang out and but it was a highlight for us and the kids to hit highway one san francisco go south and monterey was always a must stop and yeah. just the life around monterey the you're, it's it's california heaven 
really. And it's something about the biology, being a biologist, is, I was wanting to ask you on this podcast, it's a special place, the Monterey Bay, for marine life. Now, there's the kelp beds, but what is it that draws so much marine life to that part of the California coastline? Well, they come here for me just so I can take photos of them, of course. Oh, I mean, that's yeah, no, I moved back. Well, that, <laughs> that's, you know what? And that works for your tours. So, yeah, you, you did a live show on Instagram a couple of days ago with orcas, right? I mean, yeah, if you're in that area or plan to go to California, and I, I know of photographers that have messaged me on Instagram who have done tours with you and have loved it. It's something to think about. And, and yeah, check out this stuff. All right. Monterey so Bay. In all, in, all, in all seriousness, it's, you know, what, what Monterey Bay is, it's, it really is an incredibly special ecosystem. As I've gone to ocean environment after ocean environment, you know, I've, I've seen just how unique it is. And I didn't used to, you know, being born here, you know, when you're born, you're around somewhere, you're just kind of used to it. You're used to the sea otters, you're used to the whales, you're used to the, you know, all of it. It, it, it doesn't seem any different. So moving away really helped go, wow, all right, this is, this is how unique Monterey is, right? I moved to Washington. And the biology classes are talking about Monterey Bay. And that's when I go, oh, a little light bulb goes off. Um, so really what makes our this bay and this um, ecosystem unique is that we have a deep underwater canyon. So where I lead tours out of, you know, there's, it kind of confuses a lot of people. I kind of remember how Jackson Hole and Jackson did. People were always really confused about the two, if they were the same. And Monterey Bay, we have three different ports. We have Santa Cruz on the north side. We have Moss Landing in the middle. We have Monterey down to the south. So they all go out in the same bay. They're all using the same ocean to look at whales. But where we go out of Moss Landing, it's we go straight over the canyon. So we leave the harbor, and the water immediately drops straight down. Kind of, it kind of looks like the Grand Canyon underwater. And so we have this long canyon that can drop to about 11,200 feet. It's about two miles under the water. We're at a very temperate kind of latitude. You know, we're not up in Alaska where it loses light in the winter, and we're not down in the tropics where it's just always sunny, so there's no microorganism blooms. So we're at a good temperate location. And what happens, it's actually happening right now. I mean, this was, a, I love these days. It was beautiful, stormy, windy, rainy. This is the perfect kind of day this time of year because in spring, we get what we call our upwelling season. And what this is, is that we get a lot of winds. We get a lot of the winds coming from the Northwest, right? Where that's where you get your cold water from Alaska, the Gulf of Alaska. And these cold winds help produce upwelling where you get the warm surface water and it pushes that away and that helps drive the deep water from the abyss which is colder and because it's colder that carries more oxygen um, that carries more nutrients carries more carbon particulates and it brings it back up to the top so it brings it to the top layer up the canyon walls and when you get that you'll then get massive phytoplankton zooplankton blooms which will attract you know all your schooling fish and your krill or krill are technically a big plankton but anyway you'll get the krill and then you get all the whales and the animals following in afterwards. So you can just get this huge bounty of wildlife. And and my favorite days are not always the best for photos, but it seems like every year we get these these handful of days where it feels like the Serengeti of the sea. You'll go out and you'll see, maybe you'll see 20, 30 humpbacks within half a mile of the harbor. So you're like, all right, we got humpbacks. And then you'll go out and you'll find dolphins. And then you keep going, you'll find blue whales and you'll find a fin whale and then you'll find orcas, you'll find a great white shark. And you're seeing all of this within a four-hour period. And you're, you're sitting there with the blue and like, oh, look at those orcas right over there. Look at that. Let's go check those out. And, you know, and people were just floored. You know, they always say, you know, I came out here hoping to see one whale. I didn't expect to see this. Um, so those are just some of the things I think just help make this bay 
so unique and just gives us so much potential every time you go out. That's enough. Stunned. <laughs> Stunned. Yeah, right. That's incredible. A, you have it. Hey, Ron. Yes, sir. Do you want to go for a road trip this weekend? Yes, sir. I do. <laughs> if, uh, yeah, just point us towards some accommodations if you've got room on the boat. If you don't have room on the boat, I'll gladly hang off the side. Whatever it takes. <laughs> oh my god oh i would love to have you guys on board we got to get you here you guys you guys spend too much time on land we need to get out and see a no, little bit right i fully agree Let's see some marine yeah. mammals another amen amen <laughs> you know and, and people that come like you know, one thing i've loved with monterey about moving back because when i left wyoming i was i was so hesitant about leaving all that great wildlife behind i mean you guys know you've, you've all been to wyoming you know just you get so much in your backyard and while we don't get the same, I guess you call it megafauna here, you know, we get still so much shore-based stuff. We get a lot of elk around. We get lots of deer, bobcats, coyote, skunk, raccoons, uh, you know, um, you know, I can't, I'm spacing, a lot of birds. I mean, the birds, totally forgot, the birds out here are absolutely out of this world. I mean, you can see so many species of birds, so many owls, so many birds of prey. It's, you know, so we get a lot of people that come out and they do the ocean and then they spend the other half of the day doing shore base. They do birds, they do sea otters, seals, whatever they want to do. Um, so you just get so many different things to shoot. And again, it's not the same megafauna as you get in Canada or Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, but it's it's different, right? You know, it's a it's unique in its own way. Well, you know, it's funny you say that and it's almost like you say like it's not quite as cool as the but it, you know what's funny is once you're into this for a while, right, you just really start to appreciate the different varieties that are out there and it's it's in it's amazing to me how much i definitely want to start to grow my portfolio and reach into other species and that and and do more birds and do more of the shoreline type you know uh animals and stuff and and the whales and everything i mean i've always been intrigued with whales in the ocean and i know ron has you know his it's one of his main passions for sure um and yeah, so it's funny you say that, but I think it's 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 great to get out and expand your horizons and grow your portfolio and focus on some other some other animals too. I mean, I've got you know seven eight years worth of elk and deer and bison and other cool animals, are, and it's awesome. I'd love it, but you know, but I'd come over there and I'd probably be in heaven going out on a cruise with you and you know photographing whales and then going and doing some shoreline stuff. I I would dig that and. Just plan on it. I'll be coming. So good. I'd love to have you guys out there again. You, you, you three again. Everyone on your show. Yeah, you guys are all such brilliant photographers. You know, I mean, every everything you guys have shot over the years is just absolutely incredible. It's just awesome. Thank you. you. Know? But so let's not. Uh, I'd love to see you out here too. Yeah, let's not is... use the word brilliant too loosely. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> well, I think so. so. so, so. Well, thank you. That's nice. That's nice of you. What put a what put a camera in your hand, Chase? I mean, you obviously grew up in a family that didn't mind adventure uh doing new things and being outdoors what put a camera in your hand you know i i've been asked and i actually i can't actually remember if it was i asked for one or if we were just going on trips my mom was like here's a camera start taking photos i i think i always liked it because as a kid you know we go to let's say hawaii and i always ask for the little disposable cameras to go into water with and take photos so i i think I kind of have this vague memory of getting my first camera kind of around eight or nine to shoot stuff like birds in our backyards at the theater um, and start getting good with that. Um, But it was really just that, you know, we were always around animals. We had birds, we had deer in the backyard. We'd go out and see the whales in the boats here. We'd go to the aquarium where I would take photos here, the local aquarium. Um, 
So at a really young age, I got a camera, uh, but it didn't really get more serious till about high school. High school is when it's like, okay, I really like this. I want to start getting better. You know, I, I want to improve. I, you know, I, I remember going into the camera store and I'd see photos that the photographer there had of penguins, right? And there was the bokeh, the blur. And I was convinced beyond belief the bokeh came from the camera. And I was like, okay, my camera's bad. How do I get that bokeh? What camera do I need? He's like, it's not the camera. It's Lance. Like, that, that blew my mind at the time. I was like, oh, man, I have a lot to learn, you know? So, um, but yeah, so at a younger age is when I kind of got into it a little bit. So did you take classes? Did you have a mentor? How did you improve your photography? Um, because no, you I, are, I definitely... like Mark said, you're a young guy. So to have the portfolio that you have right now, you obviously made vast improvements early on in life, you know, because you, you just can't get to all those places in just a couple of years. No, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, early, early on, no, there, there really was no, no mentor. I, I had a few camera books, but, you know, books at the time when I was younger, they didn't make a whole lot of sense. And my when my stepdad came to the picture he's he was a tech whiz and you know he could he could pretty much build a camera inside and out so he kind of helped me on the technical side to understand a lot of things you know in high school that were more confusing and then i'm sure as you know maybe you guys really honor everyone it was it was also then a lot of trial and error you know we, living in washington we had a, a lot of stuff to shoot so when you know on, after school or on weekends a lot of times you know it's like we, whether i go out with friends or by myself we'd go out to the cascades you know you just go take photos of the city you take photos at the local parks where there are always bald eagles or other birds and i think that always was the best way to learn because i had a lot of years where i look at those photos now and get ah those are trash but those trying are you going you know, okay what did i do wrong what, what do i need to correct next time how do i do this um, you know, then I started figuring out, you know, better landscape techniques from HDR to using different filters. Um, and then I think it was around late high school, college, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people do these days, it's just watching YouTube, right? You know, there weren't as many back then, but there were still so many, you know, videos on YouTube as, you know, do it yourself videos. Just here's a camera, here's what to do, here's how I'm taking the photo. You know, you kind of, you, you think of something you want to learn, you, you type it in on YouTube or online and there's, there's the answer. And, um, and I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful for all that. Really, honestly, just that free information you have. There's so much free information these days online. So many different artists and photographers to kind of find out what they're doing. Um, it, was, it was great. You know, it was the best way to learn. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Mike talks about it all the time, right? That he spends quite a bit of time on YouTube and it's, it's just like free education. It really is, you know. You got to be careful where you're consuming from, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, but um, yeah, no, there, there's, there's a ton of, I, I mean, I can't even imagine how many videos are being put up today. Right. I mean, just, I'm sure if you want to watch a video on how to edit something, take something a different way, it's seems to be there, but yeah, I agree with you. Jason. You got to pay attention on who you're watching. Right. You know, well, it's all education. It's just the value of it, I guess. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Mark, you had a question. I cut you off. I apologize. Not at all. No, I have a lot of questions. That's fine. <laughs> I, I I can wait, and I just love hearing Chase's stories, and I don't want to keep coming back to whales, but it's hard not to. We'll go other places, too. Okay. Talking about megafauna, the largest creature to ever roam planet Earth goes by your door. How often do you see blue whales? And you have an aerial photo uh, from a drone, I assume, or a, a, unless you're up in a plane. 
a small plane perhaps of a couple of blue whales just to show their immense size. Did they migrate <coughs> past Monterey? I mean, I want to talk about your photography first and foremost. I'm just kind of stunned about, about how incredible this place is and, and what you're able to do there. No, this this is great, Mark. We're just getting into our high season now. So, you know, it's, it's giving me all the good questions I get to ask or, you know, answer all the passengers. This is perfect. Ask me whatever well, you continue want. on your from your afternoon to the, the evening <laughs> podcast. Sorry. I'll, exactly I'll, the next right. one's Africa. The next one's Africa. All right. Go for it. So um, the helicopter a few times, which, you know, those are fun. We get there's a helicopter company, no doors. We get in. Um, God, one of one of my favorite helicopter trips wasn't with blue uh, wasn't with blue whales, but I, I got to go up to the photographer Bob Talbot, who maybe you guys know, and he was that was such a treat because he was such a legend to me growing mm -hmm. up. Definitely. You know, so he's here, and that that was super fun. But I've been in a helicopter a few times looking at blue whales, um, but a lot of times it's from the drone. I'll take the photos, and you know, if it's glassy, I'll I'll throw it up. And the yeah, the blue whales here. We the last two years. What has it been? It's twenty twenty. It's the last two or three years have kind of been weaker. Um, krill is on a cycle. So kind of like the sun, you know, the solar cycle with the northern lights, you know, how we're kind of in the dip, it's starting to rise again. Krill's kind of like that where it kind of ebbs and flows. It, it goes on a cycle. So between, it must have been 2013 to 2017, we had epic blue whale years. I mean, we had, you know, a record in, in uh, November 2017 where we kind of thought the season was over and we were one day watching a bunch of orcas and humpbacks, a great day in November. And a guy in his own boat was like, hey, I'm out an extra 10 miles. There's 65 blue whales, 20 fin whales, maybe 100 oh, humpbacks. Grief. And we're sitting there with the orcas going, we're just like, look at the orcas, like, oh, you guys suck. <laughs> you guys are the worst. <laughs> but we went the next day and it was, it was a three-week phenomenon of just, it was the whale conference. I mean, we had people that heard that were flying up from Europe a few days later just to see this. So we do get a lot of blue whales. Um, but again, last year has been a little bit weaker. We see them sporadically. Um, generally, the best time is September through November. We tend to get really good krill blooms kind of near the end of the season. That's also my favorite time because that's when you get really, really flat seas, warm days in the 70s, low 80s. So the water is beautiful. You, you get to really just see this animal. Um, but, you know, you used to be able to kind of rely on blue whales more from April through November. Lately, it's mostly been fall. You know, um, I, I expect someone will see one probably within the next two or three weeks. Um, I don't know what the season is going to be like, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to dig ourselves out of the curl cycle soon and get back up top. But they're here. We get a lot of them. So what you're saying is we should focus our efforts on coming out and photographing the Thule elk rut and have a pretty good chance of filming a blue whale also well and that's and that's what i love now about november is you know september october i want to be where you guys are i want to be in the east coast you know whether it's eastern canada new england i want to be in the rockies where you see that color that also happens to be really one of our best seasons so that's why i like november because usually the colors are all gone everywhere else but yosemite is heating up and the bay is heating up or at least staying good um so that yeah that's that's a good time and the tule elk are awesome just awesome Huge animals. Yeah. Sold. So many <laughs> great options where you are. <laughs> you know, and, and the best margaritas I've ever had are on the California coast. So oh, I come in at the end of the day, sit on a patio. The sun has just set. The patio lantern's out. You're talking about the day. Margarita. Oh, all right. Don't tell Book anyone. Can the ticket. 
people in Baja California may not like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm willing, not not to go overboard, wink, but I'm willing to test that. There you go and, and, and <laughs> see if that's the case. Yeah, so we could jump onto that. I mean, you, there are so many great places you've been and, and come away with wonderful images. But Baja California is another place. And the gray whales, looks, the gray whales look like a truly unique experience because of how social, approachable, and f- playful they seem to be. And I don't know. So you guys jump in anytime if I, I don't want to keep running on different directions. But your <laughs> Africa stuff... A herd of was it? You don't want to keep yeah, jumping so in different directions. Five, five six hundred. I'm guessing. Yeah, that's what you had of elephants going past. I mean, talking about all these gray whales, but you've sat there and seen so many elephants in in view. Yeah. Sign me up. Transport <laughs> me there, man. Have Have you guys all done this... Africa? Or... No, no, I haven't. No. Oh, Not God. yet. It's on the yeah, list, no. but yeah. long, I, I do moose and list. caribou. I've I've seen twenty moose in a in a in in view, but not five or six hundred elephants. Well, but but that's like wait, if I'm doing my math correct, I, isn't it every moose counts as forty elephants? So that's like eight hundred moose. <laughs> that's a huge herd. I'd get in trouble if I said that. I have certain biases, but no, I I'd, I'd love to see elephants like that too. I certain, love moose. That's a, that's biases? pretty obvious. We so just yeah. we just pulled moose into an aquatic podcast. <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't think there's I, any question about the certainty of your bias. Wild and exposed. <laughs> it's a wild and exposed fact that, that moose come up every podcast I'm on, and and uh, sometimes I do it for a joke. Other times it, it wasn't intentional. Chase has one of the best moose pictures I've seen, and I've seen oh, no. it published. No, hold on. I've seen it published many places, and it's phenomenal. The color's great. The background's great. It was in Denali. And I'm, I am sure and hopeful that it has made him a lot of money. And it's, it's a picture that I would happily have been standing right next to you at that point in time. So I don't know, Mark. I don't know if I want to get into moose off with you. I, I saw you. We're not moosing off. off. In, the, in the Algonquin <laughs> gift shop. Oh, man. I, I was like, yeah, the, the Pine Martins and the Jays are going to wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this moose book for a while. You know, that was just awesome. Just awesome. Oh, I mean, you. some of the best inspiration for Denali in the high country. So, no, I I, I know the, the folks not to get into a moose off with. So, <laughs> but I appreciate them complimenting the moose photo. <laughs> you know, I love I love that series of shots that you have, and I've seen them many times in out there uh, in the world, and they deserve to be. And I moose off. You know, I'm I'm I have very narrow niches right now compared to you. So we're not going to go there because. It'll quickly slant the other way when we start talking about all these cetaceans and whales and dolphins. Okay, let's 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 talk about the dolphin one. I think hold, I saw it go up. viral. Hold, hold up, we're off of Africa already. Yeah, we're coming back to it. Sorry, you, you got the elephant thing started. Then we got moose. Right. Let's get all back right. to the elephants. Do it, Chase. <laughs> I'm here, ready. Did you? go with the intention of photographing elephants or was it an Africa trip and you're going to focus on, you know, just the migrations getting in the, what that was probably yeah. in the Ngorogoro crater, right? The elephants. No. So I, I, I actually haven't been to the Ngorogoro crater. Um, I, I am, um, I don't go to Africa during the, um, and I don't, <laughs> this is maybe a secret that I probably shouldn't let out there, but I think it's safe. I actually never go to Africa during the migration, and I probably will one day, but I, I try really hard not to. 
because the great migration you're in Kenya and Tanzania with all the wildebeest and zebra brings in just as many people. So when you go during the summer months, you're going to be getting so many people competing for the same spot. And when you go to Africa during the off season, I mean, we've, we've had mornings, evenings, I mean, full days where you don't see anyone. You're with 30 lions and there's no one around you. You're with all the elephants and there's no one around you because people stay home. People, you know, they, they, they contact the African outfitter. They go, hey, when should I go? And the outfitter who also, you know, gets more money and more so they go, hey, hey, go to there in the Great Migration. Cost three times as much, but you're going to see a lot of animals. Um, and, and I'm like, no, nah, I, I, when I go to Africa, I want, I want to be, I want to feel like I'm back there in the Hemingway days, right back in the early, you know, 1910s without the hunting, but you still get what I mean, right? You know, just, just the quietness. Um, so the, the huge herds that you're referring to come from a place called Amboseli National Park. Um, that's the park, you know, where you get Kilimanjaro, the mountain as the backdrop. And that's got really the largest and densest population of elephants on the planet. Um, oh God, I'm spacing on the numbers. I want to say I want to say there's about 1,500 to 2,000. I may be off by a couple hundred, but they're somewhere in that range in this small little park. And that's also where you get the big collections of the tuskers, the last of the male elephants, or even females, but mostly males who the ivory, the tusks, reach to the ground. Um, unfortunately, one of them, Tim, the most famous one, just died uh, last year, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. but there's still a few left, uh, but yeah, you go to Amboseli and one of my favorite things there is it's, and it's like clockwork, you know, again, as wildlife people, you know, how hard it is to get clockwork, but in Amboseli, what you get is every morning and every evening, the elephants in the evening, they're out feeding in, you know, when it's hot, they're out feeding in the, um, the wetlands, the swamp, right? Cause all that snow melts into the ground and it seeps up and it provides this great green grass in the swamp for the elephants. So they're out there in the open. And then the evening, they begin to march, and all of them together march back into the acacia forests, where they feed in the acacia forest at night. And then as the sun rises, they all come back out of the forest, and they march back across the roads, back to the swamps. So when you go there, if you tell your guide that, you know, you usually got to get up early. Some people don't get up that early, but if you say, no, let's go do it, you'll get up, you know, way before dawn. You'll get out to the spot where you saw them cross last, and you sit there, and it's 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 there's something very intimidating about it because you're sitting there alone, your vehicle's off. And then in the trees, all you hear is you start hearing like the footprints start to hit. You start hearing the trumpeting, the groans, everything. And then out of the trees, I mean, it's just one after another. I mean, you're just talking maybe sometimes a mile across of elephants, just everywhere. And they'll come right across the vehicle. The vehicle will be vibrating. So you got to have a good gimbal if you're filming. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. The elephants in Amboseli are absolutely just you know breathtaking so um definitely worth a visit um so it was nagoragora um but i don't know how many elephants if any are down there i think that's mostly for cats and rhinos and whatnot yeah. but mm -hmm. still a very special spot Amboseli is you're the second person this month that i've talked to about that and it was Amboseli. we were talking about both locations and i had it mixed up but yeah he he yeah. actually had a picture of of Tim that he took I think a couple of years ago, but yeah, Chase Hood. So did you ever go have you ever gone to South Africa? Being a marine guy, have you ever tried to photograph the breaching Great Whites? I haven't gotten to do the breaching Great Whites. I've been to South Africa. Um we did we did the Western Cape. So we did the right whales and the, the whales down there. Um we did the Great White Sharks. Um 
you know, and then we did a lot of the safari over in the east side, like Kruger and some of the private reserves, like mm-hmm. Sabi Sands for the leopards. Um, no, no breaching great whites. You know, as far as I'm aware, I, I don't think they're getting a lot more of those. They've they've seen a massive decline in their shark populations there due to killer whales. They think. Yeah. The yeah, orcas just saw something on that. Right. So I I know they're they're a little nervous about, you know, what's going on there. Um, I was supposed to go to Guadalupe Island. Um, this year, but I'm going to try to move it to next year because it's and that's you know the cage diving in Mexico, yep. um, where they don't breach, but you get that crystal clear water, um, which is, I think, the best. Um, but no breaching great whites. I've seen them breach here in Monterey. We get a lot of great whites here. Too many. I won't go swimming anymore. Um, but but not down south, not in South Africa. Yeah, that's we had Jorge Hauser. He owns the Solmar Five oh, nice. boats down there and. He was on the podcast, and uh, he was, yeah. Guadalupe Island is definitely the place to go to yeah. to film natural light, you know, because that water is so clear. I've had two friends go in the Solmar Five, and they they loved it. They just said it was one of the best experiences ever. You're just in the water as much as you want, and yeah. uh, it sounds it sounds too cool, uh, you know, too cool, just too cool. Yeah. So, all right, Mark, where are we going next? <laughs> well, hang on, hang on, hang Jason. On. Yeah, I want, Jason's I want, to, I want, I have an image that I have just loved of Chase's for ever since I've been following him, and it, this image is just like the epic. I mean, first, first of all, let's back up a little bit. You know, we talk a lot on the show about you know over a lifetime of images and taking photos that you might end up with. You know, of a lifetime, you might end up with eight or 10 just like epic images, right? Or those ones that really just set you apart. And as I look through your images, I <laughs> I mean, you're already there and beyond. It's just crazy to me the amount of amazing images you have. So kudos to you. But this image, you'll know what it is. It's a bison image. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, you've set the bar for what an amazing frosty bison looks like. What wow. an amazing even, frosty even bison image. I'm telling you, this image is my favorite all-time bison, frosty bison image. And it's the one where it's, you know, it's, I love the way you've cropped it. I love the really tall, long crop and the the <laughs> dead center head on. You know, it's what I'm talking about. I'm sure it's the test yeah. of winter image, but yeah. Um, anyways, is there a story behind that? Maybe tell, tell us a little bit um, behind, about that image. So when I, when I lived in, in Jackson, I, uh, I, uh, when I was picking, we're moving there. I don't want to say I picked. I want to be there like that. But I, when I moved there, I wanted to make sure I ended up with a guide company because my plan moving to Jackson was thinking, all right, if I'm going to get into wildlife photography, what a great spot. I mean, you got, you know, the likes of Mangelson living there who I met in the first day. And I, I swear I had a heart attack. I saw him in the store and I had to literally back up to catch my breath because I could felt my, I felt my blood pressure spike. Um, you know, you have so many, I mean, so many photographers come to that area. I was like, okay, I got to be in Jackson. This is where I got to live. And then I was also thinking, all right, I, I can't just go there and support myself off taking photos. I need to be a guide. What better way to get paid? You know, I, I was a guide in college. So let's be a guide here. I'll go out. I'll take people on tours. We'll take photos. And I was looking for companies that would have year round work. Cause I had a couple of friends there who were like, you know, winter it's dead. But I found one guiding company that were actually, they did better in winter than summer. So while they had summer tours, they were the largest, they had the largest snowmobile fleet. I think the manager said in North America, but he definitely said in Wyoming. So we had hundreds of snowmobiles, lots of big snow coaches. 
so you know to go up in the Yellowstone in winter. So I was a guy doing the Yellowstone trips, you know, all year round in, in winter. And you know, I knew I wanted a shot like that. You know, I, I've seen a lot of the local photographers that have taken those frosty bison photos. And some of the years I were there, we had a really mild winter, and you know, we weren't getting those super cold days. Um, but we had about a three week span where it got really, really cold, you know, down to negative 15, negative 20 up in the park, you know, up above 8,000 feet. And I remember getting, I think I was doing a snow coach tour that day, not a sled. And I was really excited. I was like, all right, guys, we're going to, we're going to race over to the, uh, you know, the biscuit base. We're going to go over to old faithful. I think we're going to see bison there that are trying to huddle around thermals. That's what the people that have lived here for 30 years told me they would be. So we raced over there. And I got to Biscuit Basin. That's where that one was, you know, kind of um, near Old Faithful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure enough, there were four big bulls standing kind of over the thermal, staying warm. And I just jumped out of the snow coach. I'm like, yeah, guys, just go walk around there. You'll be fine. There's no bears. You're good. <laughs> just right <laughs> stop to go photograph. You know, because usually, usually, you know, the people want to go explore. They've listened to me talk for now three hours, right? I had to drive them up all the way from Jackson all the way to Flag Ranch. And then I had to you know, sit and have breakfast, breakfast with them. Then I had to drive all the way through the snow coach. So they've, they've heard me talk, right. They want to break. So they go off and they just walk around. I'm, I'm just up there for about half an hour photographing those bison standing there. And it was, oh, it was, it was exactly what I hoped. Just that super cold day where your camera battery, you know, drains like yeah. a snap. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was thrilled with how that one came out. Yeah. That's an amazing image. I love it. Thank you. It's okay, Mark, your turn. Again, <laughs> we should. Um, a, a recent post, February twenty fifth. So the dolphin stampede. Yeah. That looked insane. I, I I was in New Zealand two winters ago, and it wasn't a stampede, but there were so many dolphins in this bay that you know you would maybe see twenty or thirty breaching at a time. Not quite as energetic as what you photographed that I saw on Instagram. There, did you video it too by chance? Um, my, a, a friend who was actually another naturalist of mine back in Monterey, now she's down there, was taking video. And that was funny because it made it to see, the video made it to CNN and That's I had no I idea. Okay. And I had friends and they're like, is that you talking on the CNN dolphin video? And I, they sent me the link. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> no, I was, I was busy shooting, you know, uh, clicking away, taking the links there. Yeah. I, I made the connection because your photograph looked identical to the video. Right. Mm-hmm. You could see it visually happening. So right. can you tell our audience what that experience was like and why oh, so many dolphins would do that? Yeah, I, um, I I had been planning to go to Newport. And this was down in Newport Beach in Orange County. You know, so so further down south to photograph dolphins, you know, because I haven't left the state now in over a year. So I've just been trying to do a lot of California stuff. So I know a bunch of photographers, a bunch of people that have boats down there. So we were like, all right, let's wait for good sightings, good weather. And they'd been seeing some good dolphins, the weather looked good. So we, you know, got the boat out. And our first morning out, you know, we're with lots of these. And they're the um, long beak common dolphins. So they have two different types of common dolphins, short beak and long beak. But the bigger pods are generally the long beaks, it seems like. And I've seen a partial stampede before. My captain in Monterey had seen one when orcas came up and grabbed a dolphin. All of them fled. It was a viral video on YouTube. He took the boat up by himself, um, which I'm still jealous about. But anyway, yeah, down there, we're watching a bunch of dolphins. They're doing all sorts of stuff. And we see this big pod maybe about half a mile away. And there's no, you know, there's no predator. We don't know why they're doing it. But all of a sudden, you know, far away, we just see they're flying, right? They're just soaring out of the water at such a fast speed. 
So, you know, we're in a rib, um, a Coast Guard Navy rib, so that thing can just fly too. So we were going 35 knots to get over to him. You know, my hair is flying, the camera's trying, <laughs> camera trying to leave the boat. Um, but, you know, we go get over, get alongside him, and it was about five, six minutes of just dolphins flying, maybe about, I want to guess, four to 600 dolphins just flying out of the water. Um, you know, we think they do that because, you know, there's a lot of resistance in water. So while dolphins and whales are really streamlined, they can move really well through the water, you know, they're really graceful. When they're jumping out of the water like that, there's there's not as much resistance out of the sea, you know, in the air. So it seems to be the fastest way for them to move. So when they're actively pursuing fish, if they know there's a big, you know, school of fish or if an orca is coming after them, they're going to start that stampede. And they slowed down. They didn't appear to feed. So why they did it, we have no idea. But for five minutes, yeah, they were just you know, going off the rail, just, just soaring out of the water. And that's exactly what I wanted. Um, and it's not something you see every day. You know, it, it, it happens, you know, they get dolphins every day down there, but even there down there, you know, the guy who owns the company, the captain was telling me, you know, it's, it's something they don't see, you know, they maybe only see a handful of times a year. So I was, oh, I felt so lucky. I was, I was so grateful to see that. Um, cause that's, that's exactly what I wanted to see. That segues into another quick question then with the orcas that you have in your area. Are they, something you had a, a live video streaming on social media this past week of, I think it was four orcas that were right by your boat. Mm-hmm. Are they, what percentage are transients through there that would hunt things like dolphins versus resident orcas that might live in the area? So about 98% of the orcas we see in Monterey and California are going to be transients. Um, Every now and then, it seems about in every average of, oh gosh, I don't know, a few years, let's say five, um, one of the resident pods will come down. So two years ago, the L pod from Washington and British Columbia came down in March for a day to feed on salmon, and then they were gone. So it's pretty rare to see the residents. Um, we will occasionally see offshore, the third ecotype. Um, the last those were seen was by a friend of mine down in the cliffs of Big Sur, and he was doing condor research, watching condors and saw 20 uh, offshore orcas feeding on a shark below the cliffs. Um, so those are the rarest. We really don't get to see those as much because those do live offshore. But the transients are the one we see the most, and we're coming up in their season. April, May are the best two months as they come here almost every day to hunt the um, migrating mom and calf gray whales. So here in a couple of weeks, we really uh, expect to start seeing orcas daily. So we hope. Wow. All right. I feel like I feel like every question I just yeah. learn a ton. And now it's like <laughs> we throw condors into the mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the condors are so oh, you know, those are those are so cool. Those are those are such a bird. Whether you see them at Pinnacles National Park or you know, along the Big Sur coast. I, I love seeing them in Big Sur because every now and then, you know, you're so high, you'll get one flying eye level and it'll it'll you know, because it'll be five hundred feet up from above the sea, but you'll be up that high. And it'll come right by you, and it's just, oh, man, that is, I mean, it looks, it's like looking at a dinosaur. It is just so big. Such a big bird. Still haven't gotten a good photo, but um, I've seen a lot, and they're a beautiful bird. Well, the tough part is they're almost like the hooping crane. I mean, they were so critically endangered that Mm -hmm. they are all tagged, every single one, just so that they can, you know, keep track of the population and and who's doing what. So that makes Mm -hmm it makes photographs not as aesthetically pleasing, but to know that you're photographing a, 
again, like the hooving crane, you're, you're photographing a bird that was down to 21 individuals at one point in time when I was a kid, and now they're now they're back around 300, or excuse me, right. 600, I think. Right. And, and condors, I mean, they've recovered or not recovered, but there's condors in several different areas, just as you were as you were naming them off. Uh, several right. areas where you can go and observe them. So obviously, I, I think condors were even below 10, weren't they? At one point oh, God, in time, they, or was it, it not? Yeah, that they might have been. No, I, I honestly can't remember. I, I feel like I'm, I'm almost getting my condor number mixed up with the sea otter, that we're only down mm-hmm. to about 30. Um, but the condors, yeah, they were. I mean, I, I just know they were at use at probably like 10. It was super low. I mean, it was, they were pretty much at the edge of extinction at one point. Yeah. Um, and it makes you appreciate seeing them. I mean, you you think about how close we were to losing the chance to ever see them in the wild. So it's yeah. every time you see them, it's like that's great. It's mm-hmm. it's awesome, you know. Yeah, you got to stop and enjoy that that mm-hmm. rare opportunity. So that's that's not a weekend road trip anymore. <laughs> now we're we're looking at a solid couple months. I, you yeah, know, the Highway I, One coastline is is so picturesque and it's such a great place to relax it's hard not to spend much longer season i have a really good tent chase you know and i know california's fairly temperate i could put the tent you won't even know i'm there (laughs) (laughs) please i got lots of room in my yard come you can come camp here no we got there as long as you want oh don't Uh, think that's not what he was insinuating (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I would never impose but I, I there's so much going on there i love hearing about it and i can't wait someday to get back clearly a no-brainer for anybody listening who is going to be traveling to your area whether it's for sightseeing or photographic results to to look you up i mean why wouldn't anybody want to experience an opportunity to see any number of the things you've listed let alone sure. the combinations that can happen mic drop chase Jeez. <laughs> so also on your website you mentioned other guided tours and clearly the past year has been a challenge for anybody in that industry it, let alone yeah. doing it ourselves as individuals but to guide you know practically forget about it but you have some great opportunities that again wildandexposed.com go to today's show notes and the links are there to chase's website and you have things happening this year closer to home hopefully right You've, you've got your moss landing, whale watching, photo tours. You've got a great white shark tour coming up Monterey Bay 2021. How does that work? I mean, I would just love, that's something I've never seen yet. But as far as working the, or photographing, seeing the great whites where you are, is it just hopeful boat side? I mean, that alone would be phenomenal. But how do you it's, experience it's, that? It's, yeah, it's all boat side. So it's, it's, um, it's not caged, I think cage diving like Australia, South Africa, or um, Guadalupe, or even the Farallones off of San Francisco used to do that. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know if they still do, but that was a really difficult trip for a lot of people. Um, But no, the the Great White Shark viewing has actually become one of the most popular things I do, and I think even we do out in the Bay. Um, You know, this whole area always always has had Great White Shark. They've always been around. you know, our aquarium here in Monterey was the first one to have great white sharks really, you know, shown on exhibit, you know, which was so cool. But really, it's only been the last six years, right, as the as the population has skyrocketed. You know, I, I mean, now you hear more and more often what you hear is 
nowhere else on earth has more great whites than California. And, and I totally believe it. I mean, there are so many great white sharks in Monterey. It's insane. I mean, we've literally seen the great whites eating sea lions 100 feet outside of harbor. I mean, they'll be right there outside the harbor grabbing the sea lion. They'll be there off the beach. Uh, they're off the beach. More divers are seeing them. More spear fishermen are seeing them. Everyone's starting to see them all over. Like, they're just easy. And why I love the shark tours is that it's it's like a guarantee so I've now been to the shark grounds um, 69 times, and I've seen great white sharks 69 times. And we've had a day where we saw 21 great white sharks. And why I tell the people why it's such a special treat is that, you know, you go to any other of the cage diving spots, they're chumming, which is fine. I mean, you know, I, I want to do the cage diving. It is what it is. You got to do the, the chumming. I know some people don't like it. But when we go watch sharks, they just come to the boat. You don't have to do anything. You just go up there and they just kind of start circling around the boat. They, they seem to like the electromagnetic pulse it puts off and they're in a very relaxed state. So they just come right over and they'll, I mean, we had once, we had this beautiful, beautiful 14, 15 foot female. I mean, this huge apex predator. I mean, Jaws in real life stay with the boat for an hour. I mean, she literally would not leave our side. I mean, you couldn't train your dog to walk next to you better than the shark. Um, and people freak. I mean, because now people, you know, I tell people, look at you're in Monterey. You are wedged between San Francisco and the Bay Area and L.A. You are between two of the largest metro areas on the planet. This is not the ends of the earth. You're here and you're with all these predators 20 feet off the beach. And that's, I think, the thing people really like is that we're not watching Great Whites 10 miles offshore. We're literally within about 100 feet of shore the entire time. These sharks are in about 10 feet of water. And the best part, and I don't have to get into it tonight. Is that the lifeguard? Um, the lifeguards are fighting us and trying to make it a swim area. They don't like the boats, and they're trying to designate it as a swim area. So they're encouraging people to go swim in the most densely populated great white shark ground on the planet. And it's oh, it's insane. It's it's totally insane. And I'll fight it tooth and nail. I I someone's going to get bit, and they are going to get bit soon. We had you guys may remember we had a surfer die. Um, a surfer got bit last year just about two miles south of where we go view our sharks. So my, my fear is, and I've told the lifeguards, is when a parent goes there and they you tell them it's safe to swim and they send in their kids, I mean, that's going to be trouble. It's totally yeah. going to be trouble. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I think I, I don't want it to happen, but what I've seen, I just feel like it's it's going to eventually. It's just there's so many sharks. Yeah. No, it's not that it's uh... – they're actively hunting humans, right? It's just the mistaken identity. It's those issues, mm -hmm. right? But when there's so many sharks and they're mixing with humans, it's bound to happen is your point, right? I mean. Right. And and where we see sharks is what we call a thermal sanctuary. So they're not there to really hunt. They go hunt somewhere else in the bay and then they come to this spot and they're like, oh, let's just rest. Let's relax. But twice we've seen some of the adults grab a sea lion. Occasionally a sea lion or seal will swim through and twice we've seen them grab it and the first hunt i mean the first hunt was 20 feet from the beach i mean it was about six seven feet of water i mean you could be you literally our boat couldn't get in that much so people on the beach were closer to the shark eating the sea lion than we were on the boat wow. and you know and it's, it's like it's it's they're not and that's what I, I try to educate people about especially in these beaches that you know look at yeah i've told the lifeguard they're worried that if they tell people they're sharks people aren't going to come to the beach they're not going to pay the price because they're not going to want to go to the beach with their sharks. And a few of us believe it's the opposite. We say, if you tell them you can go to a beach and see great whites from sitting on the sand, 
you're going to get way more people because everyone's going to want to go do that. People are going to want to go sit there and point out the gray whites as they swim by. So I, I think they're looking at it all wrong. And I'm like, hey, you got to you gotta change your thinking here. The animals, this is their home. This is where they are. Hmm. Very interesting. I'm there. So I'll, yeah. the, I'll stand. I'll stand by deep, or or no, no calf deep, calf deep in there. There you go, going calf deep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no, come in. Bold. Every time someone steps in the water, there's always one shark that'll come in, and it'll you know it, it, it can pick up right. They can they can mm-hmm. sense your heartbeat. They feel every movement. So you'll see people wade in fishing, and you'll see the shark, and it'll turn right toward them, and it goes in as close as it can to investigate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, <laughs> calf deep. That's very good. That's a good. Yeah. Thing. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean I. I, I have friends and family who just live for scuba diving and, and do a lot with sharks. And, you know, it's not necessarily a fear thing, but there's certainly a lot of common sense with any of these large mammals that we share planet Earth with. You know, you don't go walk amongst the elephants, right, as they're coming out. So just makes sense in some ways. Um, I want to be that. You do realize that sharks are not mammals? Yes, they're fish. <laughs> Did I say mammals too? <laughs> so much flying through today's conversation. So before you move on yes, to the next location, fish. beautiful big fish. <laughs> Chase, what are the no. what are the rules? Um, because like the Marine Mammal Act, you've got to maintain a certain distance. If mm-hmm. if a mammal approaches you, it's obviously a different story than if you approach them. Are there are there any rules in place with the sharks with the shark viewing, or can it? You know, could a person drop a GoPro on a monopod and get sharks swimming by? Right. Oh, oh, people, people do that all the time. I, I haven't yet, but there's a lot of people that have, you know, they, they go to Home Depot, they go to Lowe's, they fashion these really awesome seven to nine foot poles and they stick them in the water with the sharks. Um, every, everything involved with watching the sharks in this area has been, kind of confusing. I mean, there's, there's captains and people out in the Bay that have been here for 20, 30, 40 years that are still confused. Um, but pretty much the rule of the sharks is again, you know, it's being, you, you pretty much can't chum, them. you know, you can't chum, you can't do anything to attract them in, which you don't even need to anyway. They're just up at the surface. Um, and since we're that close to shore, as far as I've always understood it, you're pretty much then required to go under five miles an hour. So as far as all us captains and people figured out, if you go in there, if you stand or five miles an hour, you're fine. Um, and the thing is, you know, five years ago, very few boats were going. But now the word about the sharks is starting to grow so much. You know, newspapers, TV stations have picked it up. You know, now you start to see a few more private boaters. And we don't get a lot of private boaters here because Monterey Bay is not super friendly to private boaters like San Francisco or Oakland. That's where you get a lot of them. But you do get some private boaters going in and they want to see the sharks. Um, but, you know, everyone's been really respectful. You know, there hasn't been any problems yet. People go really slow. Um, you know, you get people kayaking out there. You get people stand-up paddle boarding, um, which, <laughs> for the record, I probably wouldn't do. Um, there's <laughs> some the big record, sharks. There are some big... <laughs> yeah, right? I, I, I like the safety of a boat. But, no, other than that, just, just going really slow and just kind of watching them do their thing. And, and that's about it, you know? With whales, of course, you know, you do have the Marine Mammal Protection Act, which recommends maintaining a distance of 100 yards. Um, that is a recommendation. You know, I care for these animals a lot. I've grown up with them. I really do believe every boat in the bay does a really good job. I mean, I, I feel like I know all the captains, all the naturalists. Everyone does such a good job. 
kind of staggering our time around the whales. And there's so many animals, we usually don't get too many boats building up in one one area. So we kind of all kind of stay apart for the most part. And um, it's, it's, it's a really nice feeling. It's just very relaxed, not kind of rushed like the Northwest now where it's so many boaters and chaotic with the orcas. I, I've heard it's got pretty messy up there. That's where the last, no, not the last time because we went in Alaska. Um, mm-hmm. But prior to that, we went out off of uh, Anacortes Island and it was, oh, it was just completely commercial. It was yeah. big boats, lots of people, people screaming and yelling. And I don't know, I started to wonder if the whales weren't because they would perform a little bit. So you'd have the, the tail fluke slap and they would do it a hundred times. But I started to wonder if it wasn't because they were bothered by the sound of the boat just because yeah. they just were circling these whales. But... Right. Yeah. And, and you get that. I mean, I've, I've, I, I really won't go whale watching anymore in Washington or British Columbia, Southern British Columbia, really because of that. It's, you know, you go out there and you get 30, 40 boats in one pod, you know, because you're not only getting all the whale watching boats from Seattle, Vancouver, San Juan's, Victoria. But there's so many recreational boaters and mm-hmm. they turn on the radio and they just hear where the orcas are. And then you just get this flood, you know, this flood of people. Um, you know, we, we don't get anything like that down here. And I'm I, you know, I'm really I'm really grateful for that. Um, it, it makes it a lot nicer. And, and the whales seem fine. I mean, I they seem totally fine. And a lot of it's migratory as well, right? Seasonal migration through. Mm-hmm. So they keep yeah. moving. You know, the whales, they may stay for krill for a period of time, but they may be there for days or a week and they're off on somewhere else. It's not like a resident who every, you know, again, I, I haven't been to the other areas, so I'm not going to comment on them. The Kenai Peninsula mm-hmm. stuff we did was phenomenal. Oh, but, sure. But the ones that are migrating, yeah, they, they move on and aren't continually subjected to that. If that's the case, you hope that these these commercial companies would respect that for the longevity of, of what they practice. Exactly. So you also have a, a fall Grand Teton tour this year in, in um, Yosemite as well? Yeah, I, I hope to do that stuff. You know, I mean, I again, I haven't left the state in a year. I've, I've tried to just get through, you know, sure. COVID like everyone else, right? Just kind of laying low, letting it kind of pass over. Um, you know, I hope I hope to do Wyoming this year. I hope, you know, at this rate by fall, it seems like things should be okay. Um, you know, Yosemite, we, we more do based on when people just want to go. You know, so when, when people say, hey, I want to go to Yosemite, you know, for here in Monterey, it's about a three-hour drive. So it's so easy just to pop over. And, you you know, if you guys been to Yosemite, you know, you can go any month and there's something to photograph. I mean, it's just, it changes week to week. Um, so it's kind of hard to pick one season. Um, but yeah, hope, hopefully both of those are going to be running this year. And then just to conclude what you offer through the website, it's been extended as far as because of COVID, but for 2022, you're hoping to do Patagonia, the Tonga for humpbacks, Patagonia for pumas, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kenya as well, hopefully. So something mm-hmm. people can keep on their radar. And you got something cool going too, some coming soon stuff on your website. Do you want to tell people about that? Oh, are you talking about the uh, the lessons or? It was learn the, the fundamentals lessons. of Photoshop coming spring twenty twenty one. Yeah, um, you guys have seen this as well as, and I you know I've, I've heard even other people in your podcast right, and so many photographers say that the industry is so different than it used to be, right? Um, 
you know, I am, I, I always, I kind of thinking now that the best way for where I'm going is that people don't want to look at my photos and, you know, they're not as interested online buying it and putting up in their wall. I see more and more, especially with my workshops that people say, you know what, I have a camera. I want to learn to take them on my own. I mean, cause you know, I mean, God, the phone cameras are just brilliant. I mean, you can take incredible videos and, uh, you know, photos on your phone. So photography being such a popular hobby, I just kind of, especially, I spent a lot of time in COVID reflecting on that and thinking, all right, you know, what do people really want? And I think it's that, you know, they really seem to want to learn. They really want to learn, you know, how do I take that shot? Or, you know, they come to me with guiding and they go, hey, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I'm fine on cameras, but I want you to take me to your spot and just show me the animals. You don't need to teach me anything, but just, just take me to your spot. So through all of that, that's why I've started making these videos. So I'm running through, you know, Photoshop and I'm going through everything that I think is important. You know, everything in Photoshop that, you know, that I use that I think if you want to get into the post-processing world, what to do. Um, you know, I tell you, I, when I, when I started it, I thought it was going to be a lot quicker, but it's taking a long time, you know, you know, I guess I didn't realize that it's taken me 15 years or more to learn Photoshop and I'm still learning. Like, there's so much in this powerful program, Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw and then all the add-ons you can do, luminosity masks. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. And um, so that's what I'm starting to do is the fundamentals, pretty much all of that. And then we're going to move on to doing kind of photo, like kind of how to do, you know, cameras, like where we actually, you know, film myself looking at a camera, talking about settings, talking, talking about working your way around a camera, what to do, and then do an advanced Photoshop course. So doing things like once you feel like you got the beginnings and the basics down, kind of moving on to the next level. Because um, again, if you guys use Photoshop, you know it is, that very first time you open it, it's it's really intimidating. I and mean, it is a very, very intimidating, limitless program. So there's there's a lot to cover. It still is. Oh, always right. I've been using it for a long time. Actually, I haven't been using it that long, only four or five years because I just used Lightroom before. But mm -hmm. yeah, it, every time you go in, go in there, excuse me, you find a new tool that you right. can add to your tool belt. So yeah, I, and I did a, I did a Lightroom video and you're right. It's easy to go in and edit your own work, but to mm -hmm. be able to educate people while you're taking those actions you don't necessarily think about what you needed to talk about before you get into a certain area and so it is difficult it takes a lot longer than than anticipated for sure no it does it doesn't and then figuring out what is the most crucial piece of information for a new person to know the order in which to do it how much time do i spend on one subject or another yeah, I, I estimated it would have it would have taken me three or four months, and I'm on like month seven or eight now. You know, and it's it's going to be the first course is going to be about fifty fifty five videos. Um, I can't remember how many hours hours and upon hours of footage and you know workflows and everything. So, I'm I'm excited to finish. We're nearing the finish line now, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's taken a long time. But COVID was the perfect time to do it. You know, couldn't think of a better year. True. Yeah. Right. Let us know timing. when you get those out, and we'll put it on the. We'll, we'll share a link. Sure, sure, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm excited for that to come out. There's a lot to learn in those programs, so I think it's smart that you're doing it, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Oh, thank well, you. And and for photographers whose work you enjoy, admire, it's fun to see how everybody does it. There'll be different mm -hmm. tips from different photographers. So even as somebody who does it day in and day out, I'd be curious to see 
what somebody like Chase offers because I look at his post work and I'm impressed by it. So absolutely. It's like YouTube, you know, it's a, it's a time where sharing and collaboration, I think has a lot of potential in the marketplace as well. And you don't want to just necessarily follow one guide, you know, look up two or three and cover the scope. There might be nuggets in each one that are, are worth listening to or learning from. So no doubt yours will be among those chase. That's cool. Well, I, <laughs> I hope so. Thanks for having confidence in me. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, the images speak for themselves, and and your and clearly your storytelling, what you've seen, what you've experienced. Yeah, it's incredible. So, are you you're out these days? Like for Monterey Bay, how long will that continue? With is it a daily activity for you when the weather cooperates, or what's yeah? This? I was I was supposed to be out today. Rain, which we need. I, I live in a fire zone, so every time it rains, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love the rain. Um, I think tomorrow is not going to be good as well. We get a lot of canceled trips in the spring. You know, this, again, is just our rough season. It's setting everything up. So every time I'm in Monterey, I'm usually out in the water four or five days a week. Um, and I spend a lot of that time also on land, shooting around, you know, landscape and other small critters like the bobcats or coyotes or owls. Um, but, you know, this year we're, we're slowly starting to ramp up the trips. You know, I don't know if you guys are going to be, but, you know, we'll be in Washington, I think Wyoming. Uh, I think I'm going to be in Colorado quite a bit. Um, Alaska will be in Denali for a couple of weeks in August, September. Um, so was well, that when we domestic. should go? Right. I, that's when you should go. <laughs> Hopefully you guys are there. Boy, it's, it, that, those Wonder Lake campgrounds, man, those went quick this year. Holy moly. Those were, those were off the shelf within like an hour. I mean, holy cow. So. I could I could not believe that, um, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to keep it all domestic, you know. Mark, I'd I'd love to come out, and I told you last time I'd love to come back out to Algonquin. I mean, I just I just think that is one of the coolest places on the planet. But that's gonna have to wait till next year, you know. No Do Canada it. this year, and we'll we'll keep in touch and come at a different season when we can get you in the interior in a canoe or something for. Oh. A few nights and just loons all around and stars galore and great time i got uh, so on the news today it's my little secret i shouldn't put out there but it's not it's on national news newfoundland says they might open july 1st so Ooh. interesting was, yeah out. there's some projects i have in in the in the wings and that that might take root now but i yeah i love being there i love there's so many places we can't get to them all like you said earlier chase right yeah, so he's got to pick each year, but there's some go-tos that are hard to miss a year. Newfoundland's become one of those to me because just the rugged landscape and so much about it. But Alaska's, yeah, anyway, there's just so many places. And Monterey Bay, if access was there with what you get to experience, to do so much on the water and then have, it's almost like another season on land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a good mix. It's it's you know I don't love the ocean or land more than one or the other. It's just I gotta have the mix. You know I definitely have to have the mix. So it's it's a it's a good way to get it. You know, um, but Newfoundland, I'll have to ask you about that. I'm dying to go to Maritime Canada, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, more of Quebec and Ontario. I can't get enough of Canada. I used to tell my mom I I felt I used to ask her if I was Canadian because everything about Canada <laughs> I was obsessed with. So I was like, are you sure I don't have any maple syrup in my blood or anything? Man, I was, I was in love. Got with the hockey up there, the Canucks. When I lived in Washington, we used to we used to live in British Columbia all the time. Those snowy owls in British Columbia were just 
my my weekend jam you know those were awesome those were awesome right on love to hear it i feel the same way about america it's there's so many <laughs> incredible places wherever you look to experience so exactly. yeah i look forward to it i would love to introduce you to newfoundland and the flavors of that place it is so rugged it's it's north america's iceland essentially oh. you know and the caribou the moose the landscapes the coastline uh, the whales we might show you a few whales and dolphins but not quite maybe the intimacy you're used to but it's doable you can and i've seen i've talked to people that run trips out there and it looks unbelievable newfoundland is high on the list you know you'll be hearing from me before too long i promise you that i was super thrilled to talk with you guys you know i mean again your, your guys work is just you know inspiring i mean it's it's you know, it's you. It's it's your people like your work that you know I look to, and you know you, you get inspired to travel to different places and to get outside. And your guys' commitment to being outdoors and and really braving those elements is helps helps keep my weak California blood running. You know, <laughs> makes me think when I get over to the Rocky Mountains that I can withstand the snow once again. Right. So, so right. Because what were you guys? Speaking of inspiring work, Chase, where can everybody see yours? We've talked about them, but I just want to make sure they have those links. Well, uh, yeah, so they can see it on my website. Uh, just my name, Chase, just like the bank. Um, and then Decker, D-E-K-K-E-R, just like the old Dutch spelling. So ChaseDecker.com, um, the Instagram, Chase Decker Photography. And then we're also on Facebook as well. So those are kind of the three main spots. And Chase, next time you come out this way and you need any pointers, help, whatever, just please let us know. We're more than happy to try to help you out. So. No, I, I will do. I, I can't get enough of the Rockies, you know, I mean, um, as, as, as much as I can get there, you know, and same to you guys. I, I hope to see out West one time. Oh, I, I might be there. Snow. I might be there this spring. I'm not joking. So I'll be getting Good. with you. <laughs> Good. Well, orcas are coming up. Always an exciting season. So happy cool. to have you out here. Awesome. I think it'll happen. My wife and I, with the kids, we used to go every year. The kids are growing up and it's been overdue that she and I return. So someday. We'll right. hopefully share your boat with you and have some fun. And it's been great to meet you. Just having known you through social media for so long, missing you in Algonquin when you came up a few years ago, not knowing about it, you know. But yeah, I, my fault. That's, not no, at all. No, who who knew where I am? Right? It's no, it's not at all. It's just been great to meet you and have this conversation. And thank you for taking the time to share with our audience about your adventure, about your. Everything, the storytelling, phenomenal. The things you've experienced and what you've shared, and opportunities that some of our audience might have with you in the future too. Now that they've they're familiar with you and can check out the caliber of your work and can hopefully meet you in person as well. I I would be excited to meet anyone that's passionate about nature. Always fun. Always fun to share with more people. Right? You know, yeah. makes it more exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the whole premise behind Wild and Exposed. This podcast, and you can see more of this team's work on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube at Wild and Exposed Podcast. Our audio podcasts go up every Tuesday, and video podcasts or video shows of different sorts go on Fridays. We have different playlists that are growing on our YouTube channel, so check that out. Make sure to subscribe, give us a positive rating, a thumbs up, a five-star review, as those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a regular basis. It's a competitive world out there, so any positive comments in these algorithms help us gain traction. So for those of you that have done that, thank you. 
Also, a quick reminder of the Wild and Exposed store, the merchandise that Michael Morrow set up on our website. It's great stuff. We've all ordered it. It's a fantastic company with high, high reviews, and it helps support our efforts with this project as well. So once again, it's been a fantastic episode. We look forward to talking to you all again soon. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed Podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way.